Friends, there's this language we've been using for the last nine months or so <laughs> of this journey that we feel that the Lord has us on of pushing into a place of real intimacy with him when we know that he's close to us. And from that place of intimacy flows our intercession and our drawing close to him and speaking to him about the things that are on our hearts. And uh, I want us to spend a few minutes in that intercession space. We're really mindful that he's with us. Thank you for our singers and musicians who led us so well into his presence this morning. We appreciate you and we honor you. Uh, in Amos chapter 5, some very famous words. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I want us to spend a little time praying those words over situations. There's a couple of situations especially I want us to pray about. I'm giving you time to be kind of looking at that chapter, uh, chapter 5. Uh, we're in the midst of an election campaign, you may not have noticed, but we are. And, uh, and we might want to just kind of disconnect from that and just feel whatever we feel about that and however we feel about the quality of candidates and leaders. And what, we want to bracket that to one side and say, in our nation, in this process, God let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like never failing streams. Some of us are concerned with what we see happening in Latin America right now, where there's an awful lot of turmoil happening amongst governments in Latin America, with people being elected, being overthrown by armies, and, uh, and with all kinds of pressures and movements uh, which are being played out sometimes by drugs money and sometimes by people who want to bring in a regime that is decidedly anti-God. We want to pray over what's happening in Latin America. We want to pray over what's happening in our own area, in London. And uh, we see uh, huge areas of poverty and huge areas of great wealth. And we want to pray, let justice flow like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. And I want to give us a chance to pray those words um, in the midst of our kind of closeness to Jesus. So as you feel you'd like to lead us in prayer over one of those situations I've named or over something else, just come and grab the mic off me and lead us in prayer for a, a, just a short prayer, just nice and something we can say amen to, nice and punchy. It doesn't have to be a very, very long prayer. And then... I thought that was you coming to lead us first in prayer, Claire, then for a minute. I was getting all excited. So who's going to lead us first using these words, this verse. Let this verse be the inspiration for our prayer over people, places, and situations that are concerning us today. It's Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Yeah, Father, I want to pray for all those in our country who are caught up in poverty. Um, yeah, and through all kinds of injust systems and just unfairness, God, are excluded from society or, um, yeah, just marginalised. And God, we just pray for justice in those situations, Lord God, that whoever comes into power, whatever happens, Lord, that um, those people who are caught up in poverty, caught up in all those kind of cycles and situations, Lord, we just pray for freedom for them. Amen. If you feel you'd like to lead us, why don't we just make a cue and then we can see how many folks are going to come and lead us in prayer over one of these people, places, situations. Who's next?
Pray for the elections, pray for Latin America, pray for our own city. Lord, I want to pray for, for Colombia, Lord, that um, has been on the news about so much uh, protests and they have turned into violence. And Lord, we just pray for my country, Lord. We just lift them up, Lord, and all the things that are going on there, Lord, and the people that are suffering, Lord. We just, as one, come together to pray for your river to flow in that country, Lord, and for peace to, to be there in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If you come and queue, it makes this bit easier. If you're ready, just let me know you're ready and then just come and join us at the front. Heavenly Father, I pray for the elections coming up in this country. Lord, whatever our feelings and whatever our affiliations, we pray that your will be done, that your Amen. justice will throw, flow through this country, Lord, and carve, carve a, deep, a deep valley of, of righteousness. Yes, Lord, that, that whatever goes on, that, they, that whoever ends up in government, Lord, that it will be your will. And, yeah, they'll, that they'll know they're only there because of you. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Father, I just pray for your children in Hong Kong, Lord. Jesus. Yeah, just the situation there where... China is trying to change the justice system Amen. in Hong Kong to try and bring their rule over that part of the country. But Father, I just pray that Hong Kong, the values of justice, the values of democracy will move into China, Lord. But just, I just pray protection on all those young people who are protesting for their families and their friends. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Father God, I want to pray for Tim Rothen as he seeks your presence in Central Asia, Lord. Lord, we pray for his residency to yeah. be able to go forward, Lord. Lord, we pray for a place to live where he can declare it to be home and so he can get those papers done and completed, Lord. Lord, we pray your hand upon him as he seeks to serve you and your, your church in that place, Lord. Lord, Amen. just bless him now, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Time for one more, two more. And Father, we, we, we pray over the nation of, of South America right now. We lift up all those countries that are in turmoil. And we thank you that the word says that justice and righteousness are the foundations of your throne. Amen. So this morning we, we speak to you who sits on the throne. And we speak to you, your son, who is the Prince of Peace. And we ask that your presence be in Latin America. Whether that be in Colombia in the protests or the turmoil in Venezuela. Yeah. We just speak your peace over that region. We speak love and life into governance in that place. We speak against corruption and we speak against those Amen. people who stand to, 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 to fight against that, Lord. We pray that they are lifted up in this time. In such a time as this, they'll be lifted up and they will be Amen. successful in fighting against corruption. But we pray for peace as well, Father. We pray that this won't result in bloodshed, but your spirit of peace will, will precede every other intention, um, every other stronghold, every other dominion and power over that region will humble itself to you. In the name of Jesus, we ask and pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. God, we long to see justice. And Lord, we know that, that is your kingdom. 
And uh, so, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles open, why don't you turn to Psalm 147. And uh, you're going to be thinking about these fire values that we hold. Um, And we're up to number three, which is about restoring the heart and the soul. Psalm 147 begins this way. It says, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. It's a great verse, isn't it? It's the kind of the reality of what we know. Rachel, I wonder if we could have the, uh, the slide up. And in the midst of that beautiful image, it's lovely, God, to draw close to you. Um, The psalmist then says, For the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. And this third value that Partners in Harvest, an organization that we're part of, which is about to change in flux, but we're going to hold on to these values, One of those values that we hold on to is that Jesus is in the business and the church should be in the business of restoring the heart and the soul. And in Psalm 147, we have, uh, verse three, we have this image of God who says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This painting that you can meditate on that you can have a better look at it in a book in a minute if you like. Later on, you can just grab it. It's from a Dutch painter called Annika Kai, a wonderful believer, lovely lady. Um, and this is her painting, and it's her attempt to capture uh, a broken heart. And uh, uh, the scan that we've done doesn't really do it justice. It's quite black, it's quite bleak. And there you have this dark redness in the middle of the black. And when the, the psalmist wrote these words about God healing the brokenhearted, this image of the heart for Jewish people is, uh, it's more than just this pump, you know. You get the idea, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about more than just this thing in our chest that pushes blood around us. It's, it's talking about the heart as the place where our emotions sit. There's a, a sense of the, the inner us. In some ways, the true us. It's about the seat of identity and the seat of our emotional response to the world. And here in Psalm 147, the image is used uh, that, that a heart could become broken, shattered, unable to function properly because it's in pieces. The picture kind of captures a little bit of that, an image of that, this sense of sometimes we can be broken on the inside in that seat of emotions, in that that heart of who we are, that inner place, the place that no one else can see but sometimes they catch a glimpse of because of the way we operate out of our hearts and our hearts cause us to relate to people here in the world. 
And the Bible contention in Psalm 147 is that it's possible, first of all, for us to be broken hearted. To have that inner part of us that relates to people, that is the seat of our identity, to be broken and therefore not functioning. Therefore not able to do what it's meant to do. This image of a heart that is in pieces is perhaps something that we can see being played out in the world as we look at the world, but also if we look in the mirror, sometimes in our own lives too. But I, I doubt any of us could take a long hard look at the world in which we're living and not think that there's a lot of brokenness around. That somehow for many people, the majority of people maybe, there's something fundamental within us in that seat of our emotions and our identity that isn't whole, that isn't whole. And the contention of scripture is that Jesus can heal that, that God can heal that. He's the Father who heals the brokenhearted and who binds up the wounds. Many of us can identify, I guess, with that sense of something inside being broken, and certainly we'll know people, and certainly as we look at situations in the world, it's not hard to see the evidence of brokenness everywhere. Now, we can attempt to heal the heart, and there's all sorts of ways that we can do that. Some of them are really effective. We can, uh, we can numb the brokenness, and we can do that in all kinds of ways. Some become very adept at just not listening to that brokenness so that it stops being a place of pain. Some of us try and numb it using chemicals, alcohols and narcotics, and we'll try and numb that pain. Some will get lost in some addiction, some uh, fixation, some even a hobby that just becomes life-consuming and so that we train our brain to be thinking about that stuff all the time. And, some of us take this idea of brokenness seriously and so we'll hunt for people that we can talk to who uh, have done extra training and they understand the human heart and with the best of their skills and their motivation and their understanding, they'll help us to understand that broken heart and perhaps even begin that process of drawing some of those threads together. But I want to suggest today it's only God that can fully heal the broken heart. You know, as I was preparing this, uh, I was listening earlier in the week to, on the radio, uh, Premier Christian Radio, a little plug for Premier Christian Radio there, I'll tell you why again in a minute, um, but Pat Regan was on, any of you have heard Pat Regan? He's founded a couple of different trusts in London that deal with young people often and deal with people who are socially excluded, so just, just to check your awake, hands up if you've heard of Pat Regan. Now this is where I feel old and Susanna feel old because they say to, some people say to us from time to time, do you know Pat Regan? And we have to say no, but we know his dad. <laughs> I used to minister with his dad. In fact, his dad was here at our induction service. Uh, Pat came. And Pat was talking about this new trust that he's got and it's called the Kintsugi Trust. Anybody know about Kintsugi? 
It's this incredible Japanese artwork. And, I, and as I was preparing, I was thinking about including a picture of Kintsugi in this, which is where if a precious piece of pottery gets broken, instead of just throwing it in the bin, there's this whole Japanese artwork of binding it together using gold so that the brokenness becomes a feature and it becomes a thing of beauty. And many people, and I'm pretty sure I've done it before in the past as well, want to use that as an image of what Jesus does, that the brokenness that is there actually becomes a place where he exhibits his beauty. And I think that's right. But I think also he is able to heal completely. Now some of us wear our scars. I have scars from stupid things I've done and on my body and scars inside from times when I've tried to do the right thing and it's backfired and some of us will be very aware of our scars and we live as scarred people but I believe that God can heal completely. So sometimes there's that healing and the scars are visible and actually because Jesus has done something and we're going to talk about that in a few moments there's no kind of physical change, there's no outward change we're aware that Jesus is in the midst of that and his beauty is revealed in our brokenness. I believe that. I believe that when Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life after wrestling with God, his limp revealed the beauty of God in that brokenness, that God is with us. But I also believe that he's able to heal completely. And for some of the brokenness in our heart, it's not enough just to have it kind of held together, but God wants to bring healing and wholeness and completion once more. A bit earlier in the Bible, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We read this story. And uh, it's the story of David and Mephibosheth. How many of you are familiar with the story of David and Mephibosheth? Some of you are, that's good. Uh, so this is, David is now king. It's in the story of the people of Israel. And you will know that David had this incredibly close friend, somebody who they shared like a common heart and an approach to the world and a strong desire that Israel would be God's kingdom and there were two people who were like bonded together in love, uh, David and his great friend, Jonathan, thank you. And Jonathan dies before David becomes king. Jonathan is Saul's son, the first king of Israel. He dies, and in the process of the battle, while David is becoming king, most of Saul's household die. When we get to chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show a kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. 
So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil, when Mephibosheth, son of David, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, which makes him a very good person to put in charge of a farm, clearly. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. It's a peculiar story. There's all kinds of politics going on in the background to this. And I'm not going to delve into that part of this story, what's happening here, what's happening with these different houses, the house of Saul, the house of David. There's a lot of politics. You can read that. Maybe we'll preach on it another time, 15 years or so, because there's a lot more important stuff to talk about than internal biblical politics right now. What I want us to see is that Mephibosheth was somebody who was born with a destiny. He was somebody born with a destiny. He was born the son of Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul, which meant he was born royal, which meant he was born to live in a certain way and live in a certain place. His destiny was to be seated at the king's table with the other sons of the king. That's where he was meant to be. And yet because of all that had happened in Israel's history, that wasn't his position anymore. That original destiny that he had was now gone. Not only that, but we read that he was lame. Let me just show you why he was lame. Turn back five chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 4. Let's start reading from verse 4. What's happened is the news has come uh, that people were dying, that the battle was going against him. And verse 4, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. And this is how. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. That was that they were defeated. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. That adds a different layer into this story, doesn't it? So not only was this Mephibosheth, who was destined to be part of the royal family, who was born to be, to be perhaps one of the kings of Israel one day, this Mephibosheth whose early years, until he was five, were in the king's palace, the seat of authority, and the place where he should have had access and right to come, this Mephibosheth, 
Something happened. The news comes that the battle's gone against them. Saul and Jonathan are lost. And so the nurse picks him up. She's rushing with him. And she drops him right there in the royal courts. She drops him. And when she drops him, clearly it's a, a really bad fall. Maybe it's trampled because people are rushing to get out of the place. But at that moment, something happens and he becomes lame. So, for Mephibosheth, not only has he lost his place of destiny, the place that he should have been working out his destiny has become the place where he got broken and he is divorced from all that he was ever meant to be, a child of the king with access into the royal place. It's all gone. But in this moment, what David does in hunting for some part of Jonathan's family that he can give honor to, that he can bless because of his close relationship and friendship with Jonathan, Mephibosheth and his story changes altogether. In the years that have passed since that moment, and we don't know how many, but he was dropped at five, and here he is now having a conversation face to face with David, something's happened to him, and we see that revealed in how he speaks of himself. Did you just catch it? Did it make you jump? Did it... Did it kind of shock you, the language that he used of himself? His own self-image is revealed. I don't think this is just a mere act of kind of humbling himself in order to curry favor with the king. I wonder how many times he said to himself, I'm a dead dog. That sense of brokenness which is exhibited in his body, but... There's also a deep brokenness because he's divorced now from everything that he imagined life to be and all that it was meant to be for him. Results in his own self-image as a dead dog. We see how far this brokenness goes from Mephibosheth. And what David does is a picture of something I want us to see. Which is that David calls Jonathan to come back to the king's palace and to re-enter once more into his destiny and to find a place at the king's table. I want to suggest to you this is a picture of what Jesus is doing for us. Jesus, you will know, is in the line of David. And often when we think about David, not in the whole of his story, but as the king uh, the leader, the one who leads in the worship, the one who restores God's presence to God's people, we see a type of Christ, not Christ, but we see a type of Christ. In Jesus, what we see happening is Jesus making a way for all of those who've somehow got divorced from their original story, which is that they were children of a king, who now no longer are able to enter into his presence and have become broken and have an image of themselves that is broken because they're divorced from what God had originally intended, Jesus makes a way for them to come back to where they were to be and not just to come back kind of scraping and bowing on their knees, dead dogs, but restored to the position of children of the king. And so when you came to dinner at David's house and you saw all the people seated around the table and Mephibosheth with them, Mephibosheth didn't have a sign around his neck saying, not really meant to be here. He didn't. He was back home. He was back in the place that he should be. 
I know that raises all kinds of questions for us about kings and inheritance and all kinds of things. Just bracket it. If it helps, I'm a Republican. So I've got all kinds of questions about that. But I want us to see the image of what's happening here. What's happening is that you and I are like like Mephibosheth. You and I are like those who were born with an original story, which is a story of a heavenly father who longed to be close to us. A story of access to the, the very place where God is. A human story of walking with him in the cool of the day that gets broken when Adam and Eve fall away in sin and introduce brokenness into humanity. And from that moment, all of us are born with that sense of brokenness now. We were dropped. We were dropped. And Jesus comes into the world. I want us to have a look at this picture again. I wonder if you notice, what are the kind of things that jump out at you when you look at this picture? Just some of the words that perhaps come. Tell me what you see. You're probably not going to be wrong. I mean, if you see a rabbit, we'll have a conversation about that another time. (laughs) This isn't a Rorschach test. It's not like the blots, you know. But what do you see as you look at this picture? Sorry? It's a mess. How many of you realize this is a mess? It's not meant to be that way, is it? This is an image of a human heart, kind of. It's not meant to be that way. We see a mess. Thanks, Philip. There's a mess there. What else do we see when we look at this picture? Sorry, say that again, Alice. Like it's been dropped, which adds another layer to my Jonathan story, which I didn't think was there. Thank you very, very much. Because we were all dropped. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that happens if you drop something, isn't it? Like if you drop a piece of glass that way and the whole thing, it's just shattered, it's in pieces, isn't it? Thank you, Alice, it's just like it's been dropped. What else do we see? What do you see, Nina? Thank you. But there's light breaking through. There's light breaking through. Behind that brokenness and behind that mess and behind that droppedness, still somehow there's some light coming through. I wonder if anybody can see anything else in that picture. Gillian? You can see a face? Anybody in particular? You see God's face in that brokenness. Well, that might be something that God's speaking to you. I don't know that it's meant to be there, but, but thank you. You can see an image of God in there. Explain to me later what it is you see. Anybody see anything else in there? Have a look up in the top left-hand corner and you can just see the image of something coming out there, perhaps in the midst of the brokenness and actually in the, in the darkness around that broken, brokenness. Can you see the cross that's there? This is what Anika Kai writes about this. This is, a, this is a disturbing painting. It seeks to express what it means to be spiritually totally broken. There is nothing whole in this life. Black and red are emotionally charged colors that give expression to deeply felt pain and suffering, hopelessness and agony. But God wants to heal our brokenness. Therefore, and in line with New Testament revelation, the light of God's presence shines through the deep cracks of our shattered brokenness. And at the top to the left, we see 
the faint shape of the cross of the surgeon taking shape through the cracks. In the midst of our brokenness, in that place of brokenness, light starts to shine and the cross starts to do what only the cross can do. Because on the cross, Jesus' heart gets broken. On the cross, Jesus experiences suffering. On the cross, it's Jesus that gets dropped in it. On the cross, it is Jesus whose hands stretched out and whose body is broken that makes the way of wholeness for us that reveals to us the perfect love of the Father who wants to restore to us, as a restore us to himself, who shows to us the only way of forgiveness between people groups, between individuals, and between humanity and God. There on the cross, Jesus reveals that there's an alternative story that we can enter into, not just the story of brokenness that comes in with the first Adam, but now a story of wholeness that comes with a second Adam, a fresh start for all those who are born again. In Jesus on the cross, we see the punishment being taken for the things that caused us brokenness and the ways that we've broken others and the ways that we've broken our relationship with God. There on the cross. And so for us, we want to affirm and we want to say, Jesus is able to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus is able to restore completely the broken heart. Sometimes it's gonna look like a piece of kintsugi The scars will be there, but there'll be an image and a pattern of the healing of Jesus. Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How do we find that place of healing for the broken heart? How do we begin that journey of wholeness? By coming to Jesus, and taking his yoke on us, coming to Jesus and dedicating ourselves to him, coming to Jesus and seeing his life come into our lives, coming to Jesus and finding that we are restored and able to come into the presence of the king once more, not as dead dogs who shouldn't be there, but restored as the family of the king. In a few minutes, we're going to be breaking bread together. And that's a visual sign and a physical sign to us, an image, a reminder that Jesus' body was broken in order that we can be whole. We'll drink wine together, grape juice, unfermented wine. And in doing so, we'll remember the cost for Jesus for our heart surgery, the blood that he shed. But before we do, I want us to pause and to pray and to remember.
And it may be that for somebody here this morning, perhaps one of our young people, perhaps you've been coming for a while and you've, you've just kind of never really given your life to Jesus, that response to him. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, Jesus, I need to come to you because I want to find the healing for my broken heart. I want to encourage you, even if it's for the first time, to come to Jesus today, to hear him saying to you, come to me with your burdens, with that stuff you're carrying, with your brokenness, and come and find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I want to encourage us to pray. Perhaps you can just bow your head. That would be a good thing. And if this morning you're here and for the first time you need to say to Jesus, I want to come to you and be restored, I'm going to want, I want to pray for you. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment to indicate that I can pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to get up out of your seat. I'm going to ask you in a moment just to raise your hand so that I know I'm praying for you. And when you've caught my eye, you can put your hand down again. It's fine. Just I want to register that I've seen you. But maybe that it's not for the first time and you're coming back. And you're coming back to find that wholeness and healing. In which case, I want to pray for you. Thank you. If you want to raise your hand now to give your life to Jesus for the first time or again, then I want to just see the hand and know that I'm praying for you. Anybody else? Let me first pray for you. Father, as these folks come back to you and come to you, seeking your life and your healing and your wholeness, I pray that even now you begin to do your work in their hearts. That you start pulling the broken parts together once more. And that in your grace and in your mercy, healing would come. And I pray as they share in communion this morning and take bread and drink wine, that be a very visible sign to them of your love, of your healing and of your wholeness. And I want to pray for you if you experience that sense of brokenness. I'm not going to invite you to raise your hand here, as many of us I know. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who, who longs for more of that healing to come. Those who carry that sense of being broken. And Lord, maybe some of them were dropped here in the king's house, have been hurt by church, in the very place where there should have been healing and wholeness, they were mistreated. They weren't looked after. And Lord, I pray that your work in our lives would cause healing, forgiveness, and wholeness to come. And that we as your children would know that we can come into the courts of the king, that we can come now and sit with others, and that it's our place, and it's the place you've made for us, and it's the place you want us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand that we are daughters and sons of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that you welcome us to come. 
So Lord, would you do a healing work among us, even as we're sharing communion? Help us to eat and drink again and to experience your life coming into us. Help us to be open for all the ways that your healing will come. In Jesus' name. Amen.